This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. 20 Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very pumped for this episode. We are speaking about an area of the stock market that has captured our attention and our imagination, uh, fintech. Fintech. That's right. We've got a, we've got an expert on the line, and we've got a topic that we're ready to get stuck into in celebration of uh, ETF Securities' recent uh, fintech ETF, which we'll touch on in a bit. But uh, look, we shouldn't leave him hanging We're absolutely pumped to have Chris Titley from Morgan's Financial joining us on the show. Chris, welcome. Thanks, Bryce and Alec or Ren. I don't know. Which one do I call you? <laughs> Whichever one you want. Maybe change it up throughout. <laughs> Mate, uh, big fan of the series, particularly the uh, ex-cricketers that have come on, Eddie Cowan and Usman Kalazra. I can uh, safely say that I'm not as good at that as they were, but... Uh, Certainly an amateur cricketer in my time. Great to have them on the show as well. And I can also say that I am nowhere near as good as the bat with them. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we play a game of cricket once a year with all of our mates and I can guarantee that Bryce isn't as good a batsman <laughs> as some of those boys. <laughs> so, Chris, you're a stockbroker at Morgan's Financial, but you have a, a real passion for emerging fintechs, digital banks, payments companies, you know, all those subsectors of fintech. And so today we've got you on to really help us Have a discussion at a at that sort of high level around what what's going on in the space. A bit of a chat around digital payments and some of the trends and companies that are emerging. Some of the big acquisitions that are going on. As I said, it's all in celebration for uh, ETF Securities FinTech ETF. They've released a new ETF tracking the global FinTech industry with significant exposure to blockchain technology, decentralized finance, digital payments, and peer to peer lending. It's called ETFS FinTech and Blockchain ETF. And the exchange code is FTEC. And we're going to be joined by Kanish later in this episode to talk about that specifically. But Chris, let's start at the top. There's a lot of sort of buzzwords when it comes to fintech. There's a, a few definitions that we need to get our head around. So let's set the scene. But can you explain it like uh, Ren and I are five? Because there's a few few tricky things in here. And uh, <laughs> so let's start at the top. H- how do you define fintech? Fintech. Well, for a five-year-old, it's anything to do, uh, any technology to do with money. And I'm going to sort of talk it in layman's terms. Do you guys know the, the TV show Bluey? We don't. I can't say we do. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's a pretty well-known uh, TV show for kids uh, based out of Brisbane, but uh, they've done uh, enormously well. They sold to, their rights to Disney, so it's a bit of a global phenomenon. But they, yeah, five-year-old language, if I want to use it, dollar bucks. So anything to do with dollar bucks and technology. 
Okay, nice. Okay. So if fintech is dollar bucks, digital technology, then <laughs> what, what are digital banks and I guess how are they different to the regular banks that we've grown up with? Well, if you think about a piggy bank being a, a physical bank and stores dollar bucks, then a digital bank is a bank which is a, a piggy bank in your phone. So it's a digital bank is a bank that does not have any branches. Interesting. Okay. And then let's go a bit further. What is blockchain? Tough to explain to a <laughs> yeah, five-year-old. Yeah, that's right for a five-year-old. <laughs> um, okay, for a five-year-old's language. Um, how about an ongoing story that never ends and you can't cheat? How about that? Okay. Wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, uh, what is decentralised finance? <laughs> For a five-year-old. <laughs> Maybe explain like I'm 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, decentralised finance is is really a financial system that's that's based and used on blockchain uh, rather than traditional methods as a bank. So, you know, you... You, I send you money. It's it's done through a, an in, sort of an institution right now. But decentralised finance has used the blockchain, which at the moment there's sort of non-government based style platforms. But you know, maybe in the future there's government regulated finance, which would probably be decentralised centralised finance potentially. Chris, there are several fintech subthematics that are you know super interesting, causing a lot of disruption to traditional business models, including as you've just mentioned, decentralised finance. There's digital payments, peer-to-peer lending, and there's plenty also going on in, when it comes to data providers and, and financial enterprise solutions. But I think sort of top of mind for a lot of people is is digital payments and what's going on there. Huge industry expected to hit six point six trillion in value by the end of this year, and it's growing at twenty two percent year on year. So, what are some of the key trends that we're seeing in this space that's driving that growth? Well, I think last year through the global health pandemic really sort of identified some new structural changes within payments. I mean, traditionally you'd have people holding cash and transferring cash, and that was actually you know the probably the most normalised method dating back a decade or so ago. Then you had the introduction of cards and then smartphones on top of that. But last year, I suppose, with some government saying, a lot of retailers saying, don't touch cash because it's actually carrying germs of other people, people really changed their methods and you saw a, a huge uptick. So I think the, the general broadly thematic, uh, broad thematic is, you know, has come from the smartphones. It's certainly come from uh, new methods of payment, particularly in the US, things like Venmo and, and PayPal, and, and then here locally, Osco, and then it's also come from the vendors um, regarding you know tap and go, and then digital debit cards, and large big tech companies like Apple. So I think you know there's a big structural change when it comes to payments, and as you mentioned, it's growing rapidly. Uh, and then you've also got companies that on the e-com side, which again had a terrific year last year, that are powering you know, things like Stripe and Square, for instance. Yeah, it is an incredible uh, disruption in the space. You know, we're seeing. Uh, a war on cash, I guess. Both Visa and the Indian government have separately declared war on cash. You wouldn't think Visa and India would be allies in a war, <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> um, and, and we are like we're living in and feeling this disruption as everyday consumers. You know, our I guess our money habits are changing. How we pay for things, how we where we keep our money, uh, you know, where we spend, where we save, all of that is changing. If you look at it from a company lens, what are some of the big winners? in this space in the middle of this disruption? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the, the answer is probably those companies that have really been technology um, forward thinkers or even technology first style companies. So it comes to mind. I mean, PayPal is a classic example. 
uh, that, that sort of came out of eBay and, and they saw a need for online payments. And then you've got companies out of the US like Stripe that I mentioned that are, that are probably one of the most valuable fintechs in the world privately that sits at the back end of, of a lot of payments online. Uh, locally, you've probably got companies that are, that are coming out, the, the big four banks, uh, like, like the digital banks, like Ferocia, which is the up brand, which has you know, recently merged with Bendigo. But you've got companies like Tyro and CBA. So there's a lot of competition coming at the traditional form of payments. And then, then you've got the... You know, the giants, the elephants in the room, you know, Visa and MasterCard and how they adapt and how they look for partnerships and, and where they're investing and how they're acquiring businesses to stay on top of things. So it's all panning out. But I think the big winners generally and broadly speaking have been the, the global payments companies like PayPal um, and, and, and and Stripe. And, and you're seeing um, yeah, locally even even someone like Commonwealth Bank that's quite innovative that, are, that seem to be on top of things and merging and, and partnering with various fintechs. So when there are winners, there must be losers. Are, are there any that you're seeing that are sort of struggling to keep up with this disruption? You mentioned Visa, MasterCard, CBA. Like, Are they truly keeping pace with what's going on or are they just trying to make acquisitions to keep up? Yeah, I think there's a bit of a, uh, using a sporting analogy, a bit of an offense and defense going on with some of these large incumbents, you know, do they get on the front foot and, and try and create new ways of doing things and mimic the sort of smart, nimble, faster fintechs or or is their defense that protecting their turf by acquiring businesses and, and getting getting the competition out of the way and putting them within their stable? So it's a bit of a, an ongoing battle, but in regards to the you know, the losers, I think probably, um, and this will be spoken from a consumer point of view, is probably the, the large legacy systems and the banks that just can't keep up to pace with the new system. So, I mean, you know, Apple Pay took a long time for the big four companies or big four banks in Australia to adopt. And then you've got the regional banks that some, you know, some banks still in Australia don't have OSCO and instant payments. Some still don't have live statements and, you know, push notifications, all the things that consumers are demanding now. Yeah, as you mentioned, Visa and MasterCard, again, probably the card payment side of things you would think is slowing down. But again, there's new and innovative ways. I mean, the emergence of the buy now, pay later um, phenomena over the last you know five years. Um, broadly speaking, Australia's been a, a world leader in that sector. That's a sector that banks wouldn't have thought of you know five or six years ago. And this whole thing is emerging in front of their eyes. When we speak about losers and we speak about buy now, pay later, the credit market subsection of the digital payment market has been a phenomenal thing to watch. And Australia has really led the way with Afterpay and Zip and that long tail of buy now, pay laters. I feel like a loser that we have to touch on are the credit card companies. It feels like this disruption has really sort of hit them for six. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think like a number of people say change happens a bit slower than people think, but the, the narrative is that buy now, pay later is a digital innovator or a disruptor to credit cards. And, that, and that's argued a lot in the press because you, you see the, the buy now, pay later numbers going up and you see the, the credit card numbers going down. So you, you'd assume that is the case, whether that replaces the credit card market. I, I, what I do think is probably played out in the background that not many people talk about is is the, the low interest rate environment that we live in at the moment. So if you're getting charged 20% and, and you know that the interest rates are at half a percent or put 10 <laughs> basis points, you know, like you're a consumer, you're pretty smart. You're going, I'm getting ripped off here. So you've seen some innovative or quasi-innovative credit cards that come out and say, well, it's now only 10% compared to buy now, pay later, that is, that is no interest rate. If interest rates were 7 or 8%, maybe there's a different narrative. But I think in this environment, you are seeing new issuance probably diminishing. But I, I still think there is probably a longer tail than you 
think it's it's probably like an analogy that I use with credit cards is probably like the fixed the fixed telephone line. Like it still survived for many many years after mobile phones came in. It had a bit of a long tail death, but um, I think that's probably going to be the case with credit cards. That um, there's still fixed lines out there. Still people have home lines and business lines, etc. But um, it's nowhere near as popular as it was it used to be. You know, a decade ago. I can't remember the last time I used a fixed line, to be honest. <laughs> Showing my age here. It's going to be like when we're older and, you know, kids are watching movies and someone picks up a fixed line and they're just like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're not yeah. here to talk about that. Um, so, Chris, there have been a number of sort of big acquisitions in the space. You men- mentioned uh, Bendigo and NAB and obviously we can't go past the Afterpay Square. So... What's the trend here? But maybe if you can talk through each of those examples as well, as I'm sure, other than the Afterpay Square, the other two might not be as familiar to the, our audience. No, yeah, well, I'll start with the, the, the less familiar ones because the story has been spoken about with the Afterpay Square um, merger. But um, going back to the probably the first biggest one that we saw in the last six months or so, you know, dating back probably nine months or so, was NAB's acquisition of 86400. Now, 86400 if you don't know, is the number of seconds in a day. But they were a digital bank uh, that operated here in Australia solely trying to get consumers to be educated on digital bank and provide a niftier, funkier user interface. They had some decent traction early on. Um, NAB ended up coming in and acquiring that business for you know, north of $200 million, uh, which is a good a proper sound result for the founders of those businesses. But um, that was the first one that sort of fell by the wayside. And now they've integrated that into Ubank. So that's now ongoing at NAB. So the results are sort of yet to yet to come out on, on, on the success of that acquisition. But that was one that sort of took people by surprise that a big four bank is buying a, a sort of a, a, a quicker digital bank. The second one, again, on that digital bank theme was um, Bendigo acquiring Ferocia, which is the, the platform um, that most people know as UpBank. Um, UpBank sort of had, probably was one of the fastest or is the fastest growing digital bank in the world, um, based here in Australia, based in South Melbourne. They've sort of gone straight to 400,000, 500,000 users uh, in the last couple of years just by doing, again, uh, um, little banking functions that people don't think banks normally do. You know, improve customer service. I think you know it takes three or four minutes for people to get back to you. You can do all the funky things like Apple Pay and, and Osco straight off the bat and create savers and manage your money and upcoming bills, etc. All the things that people have sort of wanted for years from a bank. So Bendigo acquired that in all an all script acquisition, which is the same as um, Afterpay and Square. So it's about a hundred million dollars of Bendigo shares that the founders got in that business, and now they're going to continue their up brand and, and move forward. So. Yeah, very fascinating to see where some of the regional banks, big banks, and also some of the bigger players like PayPal, Stripe, and Square are playing. But uh, obviously, Square's the the most well known one coming in and, and merging with the the Aussie behemoth that, that is Afterpay, that's sort of number twelve company in Australia. If we broaden the scope, I guess from digital payments, we're we're seeing other innovations from the from the financial space as technology sort of enables new business models. And one that I believe Westpac pioneered, correct me if I'm wrong, is open banking. Um, Oh, sorry, sorry. Banking as a service. Um, Can you tell us, you know, we've heard software as a service. Uh, We start to hear other companies try and use that as a service uh, sort of label for, for some of their product offerings, but banking as a service, like what, what is it and what can we learn about the industry from it? Yeah, well, that's that's another another buzzword that's floating around in, in fintech. I mean, as a service, generally, 
if a stock price goes up, people say, what do they do? And they say, they make up something and say, oh, it's as a service. <laughs> Mining as a service. Hey, Chris, um, we, do, you know I mean? we do podcasting <laughs> as a service. True. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, you know, gyms were the classic one. Were they like fitness as a service? You're like, gym membership, that's that's a that's a FARS model, isn't it? You know, like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> 30 bucks a month, it's, you know, a subscription. Um, so, um, yeah, look, I mean, banking as a service, again, is, is, is where I suppose the the banks can white label or other people can white label banking banking technology to really capture loyalty in a brand through like Walmart, for instance, launched their bank. So if you think about locally, someone like Woolworths launching a bank or I don't know, someone, um, you know, electricity provider, whatever it might be that thinks they can enter financial services and provide a, a decent experience. But, you know, probably the most common uh, banking as a service platform or, or most well-known is yet to be launched, but it's sort of soft launch, which is, which is Afterpay's uh, bank, which is using Westpac's uh, back-end and infrastructure. So the Afterpay bank or money by Afterpay is about to be imminently launched, which is a, you know, obviously a trusted brand amongst their users. They've got a lot of users, and now they're looking to enter into sp- savings and spending and other uh, peripheral areas of finance outside of buy now, pay later, which is, again, using Westpac's banking license because it's not easy to get a banking license. You probably need $100 million of tier one capital to start off with. Uh, it's not easy to set up banking infrastructure and systems. So they're using Westpac's Westpac partnership for that. So, you know, it's a, probably a good deal for both of them, but it's, you know, yet to be launched. And, and there was a fair bit of press around whether that was going to be launched because of the merger with Square or not. But, um, yeah, Afterpay are reassured investors that, it, that it's due imminently to come out. And it'll be interesting to see whether, you know, of their people that have downloaded an Afterpay debit card, whether they convert to a bank or not, or whether they're just happy to stay with CBA or UpBank, for instance. So, Chris, another buzzword that is obviously floating around in this space is the blockchain. And so uh, we'd love to get your thoughts on the innovations around the blockchain and and how do you sort of think that the blockchain is influencing the fintech space at the moment? I know that this ETF by ETF Securities is really designed to help give exposure to blockchain technology. So yeah, if you could chat to some of the, the trends that you're seeing in this space. Yeah, I mean, the most obvious one is is cryptocurrency and whether that ends up inevitably being a normalised common person test crypto currency, which, you know, you've seen that the rocket pace of some of these prices, particularly with Bitcoin, which is the most popular one. So, yeah, that's an application which is very exciting. Again, it's probably got its positives and ne- negatives to the common person, but, you know, the exchanges that have been set up around trading cr- cryptocurrency have been insanely popular. Coinbase listed on the on the US market, I think with a market cap bigger than most of the exchanges or equity exchanges around the world. Uh, for instance, like the, I think it's sort of four or five times bigger than the ASX here locally. So there's there's huge demand on the on the infrastructure side and people you know being able to trade currency. But then you've got you know the NFT market, which is the non fungible token market. I'm not too sure whether you've spoken about <laughs> yes, that before, yes. but again, I don't really. Can't really explain that to a five-year-old, but um, it's it, you know, for me that again is a digital asset in regards to ownership change, and that is a probably a pretty exciting market. You've seen some companies like OpenSea, which is um, seeing huge transactional volumes. Of some people calling it the sort of the eBay 2.0, where you can buy and sell NFTs and, and artworks, and then you've got. For me, something which, again, is probably close to my heart is, is sporting organisations. You've got companies that are leading the way by creating digital moments within sport which you can buy and sell. I mean, it sounds silly, um, but the market is, you know, has seen a, a huge number of transactions. It's sort of an open 
uh, open menu, I suppose, on, on where things land with the blockchain. I mean, the applications are, uh, are coming fast, thick and fast. But, um, yeah, it'd be tricky to kind of see where to make, you know, extraordinary amounts of money early on because if you if you go back to the internet and say, look, what could you have invested in the internet back in 1995, you'd probably say, oh, Amazon or eBay. But, you know, those businesses weren't created then. So, you know, it's, it's an entrepreneur that created them and drove those businesses. I mean, you probably could have hacked a few domain names and skimmed a few bucks off McDonald's or something if you owned their domain name back in 96. But, you know, I don't think at this stage for me, the application use of the blockchain is yet to be seen from what I call a common person test. If we use the internet analogy, we're in the early days of the uh, internet when it comes to blockchain and there's, I guess, a lot of hope. There's a lot of venture capital flowing into the space. Uh, I was reading an article that uh, this year 129 startups, blockchain-related startups were funded and they together raised $2.6 billion. So, you know, there's there's a lot of, I guess, hope and aspiration in the space at the moment. If you think about um, how the bigger end of town, you know, the squares, the PayPal's, the visas are reacting to blockchain, you know, is there anything that they're, they're all doing or any, any way that they're positioning their business for, I guess, the more mainstream adoption of blockchain? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I can't speak for the, the strategies of some of these companies, but at the same time, I think it's like anything, a potential imminent threat or an imminent opportunity. And they really need to assess about testing out the various ways of payments, testing out the various um, security levels of infrastructure and, and testing out the ways of doing it. Because, I mean, for an example, at the local level, the ASX are looking to potentially change their their um, their chess system, their clearing system, uh, using blockchain technology. And I think it was sort of due to be in around now to be launched, but it's been delayed again. So there's, there's lots of uses and, and lots of people are testing things and trying to test things and throwing money at at teams to testing things. But again, it's like you just have to wait and see. I think the, the future is and, and some of the, the best names in the blockchain are yet to be created for me. I think it's hard to kind of pick the winners. There might be one or two that exist now, but you, you probably do need to invest and you do need to partner and you do need to learn about it because, again, it could be an imminent threat to some of these companies or at the same time a, a massive opportunity. So, Chris, I guess that begs the question then, as retail investors looking to get access to this space and and invest in blockchain, are there any ways in which we can do that? As it pans out, there'll be lots of different ways to invest via ETFs or through listed equities, again, or through through startups that are appearing. You're seeing um, some of those funding numbers are huge. So there's lots of entrepreneurs out there starting businesses and ideas, again, using the blockchain, which will come to prominence and they'll you know, raise series A, B, C, D rounds and potentially float, et cetera. So, yeah, there'll be plenty of opportunities. I, I note in the... Um, the press recently, I think uh, Airtree backed Immutable, a gaming blockchain business based out of Sydney. I don't know too much about that, but it was a big raise. I think they raised over $100 million. Wow. Uh, and there's a company locally here in Brisbane called Swiftex, which has sort of grown under the radar, I think, to 30 plus people, um, again, on the exchange side of things when it comes to cryptocurrency. So there's plenty plenty to look out for and, and sort of a bit of a, an open plate in terms of where the investment opportunities are, but certainly there will be ones. You spend a lot of time looking at fintech and we should say you're a good follow on LinkedIn. Uh, you share a lot of news uh, from the world of Aussie fintech. So if people want to uh, hear more from Chris, jump on LinkedIn and follow him there. If you think generally about the fintech landscape, both here in Australia and globally, what gets you most excited? What are you you know, most excited? What companies or themes are you most excited to see play out in the coming years? 
Yeah, about five or six years ago, I started following the emerging technology or startup scene here in Australia. and It was really exciting. There's only a couple of funds and, and certainly not a huge amount of companies that, that sort of were, were startups. I think it was a bit of a uh, you know, a bit of a misconception about, oh, if you're a startup, it's sort of like it's very high risk. And now it's, a, you know, five years later, it's a buzzword. And I think fintechs at that early stage, I think in the next five years or so, you'll see people talk a lot more about fintech. There'll be a lot more funds investing in fintech, a lot more success stories, as we've already seen a couple here in Australia. So I, I do think anything to do with money, broadly speaking, is, in my view, is fintech, whether it's property or or insurance or whether it's savings or spending, and, and it relates to the everyday person. So there's a the total addressable market is, is a massive market within this sub-segment. So I'm just excited about this, this segment, broadly speaking, whether it is payments or, or DeFi or the, or, the, or the different forms of credit or the, or the different forms of way, weighing people's, the way people save or, or budgeting, et cetera. And there's exciting opportunities. Again, some of these opportunities haven't been created yet, but I'm really excited to see what is what can be created with open banking and and DeFi and, and, and other sub-segments of fintech. So, yeah, no, I, I, I can't wait. It is super exciting, Chris. Plenty going on. We've got decentralised finance, digital payments, peer-to-peer lending, data providers and financial enterprise solutions. A lot of things to keep up with, but um, you've done a really good job in helping us to understand it uh, like we're five, which has been, <laughs> <laughs> which has been good. And we very much appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise. Um, as I said, a lot going on in that space. So we appreciate your time. Thanks, Bryce and Alec and Ren. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Acast and Befaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. So we're going to just discuss a little bit about the fintech ETF, some of the major holdings and uh, a little bit of an interesting fact as well. So stay around for that. But let's start at the top. Why create a fintech ETF? So I guess the reason for creating a fintech ETF, you know, as an ETF manager here in Australia, you know, we were the first to the market in the world for a physical gold ETF. You know, we're often looking at the range of ETFs that Australian investors have access to and how we can innovate and how we can provide solutions that they that they want to build into their portfolios. And for us, 
the fintech and blockchain space, it, it, it was a gap in the market that we felt an ETF was a solution that gave investors an ability to go, well, yes, I, I believe in this, this disruptive megatrend. I believe in this idea of blockchain and, and decentralized finance. I think the cashless economy is going to grow. I think we're going to see continued disruption in terms of point of sale systems or data vendors and trading platforms, for example, Robinhood is an example there. But how do I get exposure to it? Do I go direct? Do I buy an active manager that maybe has some exposure? Do I buy a broad index that maybe has some of those names? Well, there wasn't a solution that goes, well, this is just a one ETF that gives you 75 of the biggest names in those th- in that thematic and, and that's what we really wanted to bring out there. So that's why we launched the, the sort of the fintech and blockchain ETF and, and FTech is the code. So quite quite straightforward. It basically looks at this industry and this industry is all about disruption. It's all about companies that are disrupting what is a very traditional, very potentially stale companies and industry. And you talk about some of the incumbent banks or you know wealth managers and ETFs in itself are, are a disruptor in this space. You could, you could call us a... We're maybe not a fintech anymore because we've been around for you know nearly twenty years, but you know ETFs um, a little while ago are considered a, a type of fintech, a disruptor to the wealth management space. Yeah, it is such a disruptive part of the market at the moment. Some of the companies that are just stealing market share from the incumbents, you know, Afterpay created. 30, 40 billion dollars worth of value while the banks traded sideways in about six or seven years. It, it's pretty phenomenal to see. And, you know, I think these passive ETFs gives you a great opportunity to just be exposed to that disruption generally rather than trying to pick specific winners because it can be tough in a space like this where there's just, you know, so much changing all the time. Uh, if we look under the hood in this ETF, what are some of the major holdings that investors will have access to? So uh, just to take a step back, so, so in terms of the, the index itself that we're tracking um, for this particular ETF, it, it's run by the guys at Index, INDXX, and it's the Index Developed Markets FinTech and DeFi Index. So essentially it gives you exposure to 75 companies from the developed markets, countries like Japan, the US, Australia, Europe. And within those 75 companies, it's broadly across nine different sub-themes. And this is, I think, we sometimes forget, you know, we all know of Afterpay or Zip or Square or PayPal, but fintech as a thematic and blockchain in itself as a theme is broader than that. So some of those themes are companies like, and the themes are digital payments. So that's where Afterpay would feature. Point of sales. So that's where Square could feature in, for example, trading and capital markets. So if anyone knows about the market makers and things like that that run the ETF market, it's companies like Virtue or Flow Traders and even potentially Robinhood could feature in this in this portfolio. And then when you look at things like blockchain so or decentralized finance, so Coinbase is an example there. So you've got your traditional names such as Visa, PayPal, et cetera. Again, these are companies that Visa people may look and say, well, why Visa? Well, Visa is still disruptive they're still working on that fintech space. We don't have a Commonwealth Bank in here. We don't have, you know, some of those traditional banks, you know, JP Morgan, et cetera. Yes, at some point, could they feature in? Maybe. But this index also has a revenue purity screen. So when you look at these sub-themes, if the stock features as part of that sub-theme, it can only feature within the index if 50% of its revenue is associated to that theme. So if we think about, say, 
Afterpay. It currently is in the portfolio. Um, so there's two Australian names in the portfolio, Zero and Afterpay. Both of those feature because Afterpay is 50% of its revenue is from that digital payments theme. It's probably, you could probably say 100% of its revenue is from that digital payments theme, but it features in that portfolio because it, it passes that revenue threshold. So it's more than just an off-the-shelf index, you know, because you can't find classifications for a lot of these companies. They're companies across sectors and across countries. And I think that's when you're looking at thematics, that's really important. You know, a thematic sometimes needs to be agnostic to sectors, agnostic to countries, which is what we've tried to do. What subcategory does zero fall under? So zero falls under the financial enterprise solutions sub thing. And again, that when you think about fintech as well, the drivers of the fintech theme, people may say, well, isn't it done and dust? It isn't financial services. You know, it's been around for hundreds of years, the ability to you know, the idea of payments or whatever. But this particular area, it's growing and it will continue to grow because you're going to have why we've seen the drivers of growth, it's regulation. So the fact that you've got regulation on some of those traditional institutions like the banks unable to lend to certain consumers and businesses created an opportunity for buy now, pay later companies. You have high bureaucracy or layers within certain companies, traditional um, financial institutions that created inertia. And even some of these companies have come out and said, we saw an opportunity to do, you know, a point of sale systems like Square, but we never did it. And so therefore we're happy for Square to do something. And then this idea of technological adoption and innovation. So more cloud computing infrastructure, better software, better hardware, better data, all of that combined means that you have access and ability for companies like Zero to give you a businesses an ability to basically just, you know, run their business in real time how their business is going versus the traditional way of using spreadsheets or whatever it may have been back in the day. And blockchain, you know, that is in itself probably the biggest theme within, you know, sub-theme within this thematic of fintech. Kanish, I'd be surprised if anyone said that innovation in finance and payments was done. If that was actually something that you've heard, uh, tell them to send us a DM because I'd love to have that debate with them. Uh, and I think there is nowhere where that is clearer than uh, what, blockchain has done in terms of or what it is doing and i think you know obviously a lot of the conversation around cryptocurrency centers around the price of crypto but the underlying technology is really disrupting payments cross border international trade like there's so much disruption happening but i imagine some people have asked you why you would include blockchain in a fintech etf so why was it important to include some of these blockchain names in this etf well, it's important because for us, blockchain is probably the most impactful of the fintech themes. When we think about it, it's especially relevant from a financial services basis. You know, PwC did some research and they found that the finance industry, it's widely regarded as the most advanced in blockchain adoption. And so when you think about decentralized finance, that's blockchain. Everyone thinks that cryptocurrencies, it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera, and that's where everyone looks at. But as you mentioned, you know, that blockchain technology, that's what's going to be the real winner out of all of this and that distributed ledger technology. It's not just only in the financial services space that blockchain technology is going to be relevant. Think about the idea of smart contracts. So this is where, for example, an agreement between companies or two parties are automatically executed by a blockchain without the need for lawyers. So you have this ability now to create innovation and disruption in the legal industry. And that in itself is a massive, you know, growth potential. And then you go beyond that. 
So I think this idea of blockchain, it's extremely important as a fintech theme. For that reason in particular, within this ETF, there's 75 names, and I mentioned those nine sub-themes. The maximum number of stocks that any one theme can have is 10, but for the decentralized finance theme, it's 20. Now, as it stands, there's only six companies that are associated to that thematic, uh, or to, to that sub-theme, sorry, of decentralized finance. And as the industry of blockchain and as com- blockchain companies grow as they list, as they pass those liquidity hurdles that we have, you know, you have to, the company has to have a minimum of 500 million market cap, US dollars. So we're not looking at small companies here. We're looking at big companies, but a company like Coinbase mm. will be featured in this ETF example. So Kanish, uh, as I said at the top, there was an interesting fact about this ETF and that is that it's listing on the Chai X. We've just come off a great interview with uh, Vic who runs Chai X. So our listeners um, would be very aware of, of the exchange now. Why decide to list this on the Chai X? The decision and the reason to, to list with Chai X was uh, as a way to from our perspective, to support a secondary platform in Australia in terms of the exchange. They are growing in their presence and their footprint. I think, you know, I did listen to that interview and that podcast that you guys did with Vic, and I think he was saying that close to 90% of brokers now have access or use the Chikes platform. It is the idea, and, and, and Chikes in itself could be classified as a fintech in, in some way, you know, from an exchange perspective. That is something that, that we are considerate of. And, you know, we want to ensure that, you know, we support and listed uh, this particular fund with them. I believe this will be the first passive ETF listed with ChiX. It's a great mark, I think, in sort of the development of the, the Australian financial services industry and from an exchange perspective as well. In terms of access, I, I believe, as I said, I think they've got close to 90% of, of broker access. And for, for people that need to, to come across it, I think, you know, going onto the ChiX website, I, I believe that that should... Um, be able to help you out there. It is fitting, Kanish, that uh, you're listing a ETF that tracks uh, fintech disruption on a company's uh, exchange that is trying to disrupt an incumbent. It's uh, it, it seems very fitting for this ETF, and I feel you're amongst uh, good company there with Magellan also uh, listing some of their products exclusively on ChiX. So. Uh, for most investors, it shouldn't affect how they access this ETF. Uh, check with your broker and see if they have ChiX. Uh, if they don't, maybe send them an email and ask them to include it. Um, but Kanish, if people are interested in finding out more about this ETF, uh, where should they go? So the best place to go is on our website. It's etfsecurities.com.au. Uh, you'll, you know, the product tab at the bot at the top there. If you click that, you'll see a list of all the funds that that we have that we offer and the ftech product is listed there as well and you'll find the product disclosure statement you know product flyers investment cases and other collateral and content um, on there in regards to the fund well kanish we love what you guys are doing at etf securities at the moment providing plenty of access to innovative industries and industries that are exciting to be a part of as uh you know the young generation of investors come through so you know, congrats on the launch of FTech. We also had semiconductors as well. So for those listening at home and want to check it out, the exchange code is F-T-E-C, FTEC, um, or head to the website for more info. But Kanish, it's been a pleasure as always. We'll chat uh, soon. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, 
go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmagle.